Amen. Well, as I said, I'm so excited for Pastor John Griffin to be preaching today. So I actually uh, grew up with John. Well, he was like really close with my brother, Derek, who's actually on vacation today. So praise God for vacation. Derek usually leads worship, so I'm glad he's able to do that. But yeah, he grew up with my brother, Derek. And then I met John when he came to you and I six years ago to start school as a freshman and invited him to be one of our first people, a part of Chi Alpha. He came and was a part of it, gave his life to Jesus, and the rest is history. So now he serves on staff with Chi Alpha, and he also serves at our church every Sunday. He's so faithful. He, If there's ever someone in the in the attic doing something, it's John. Okay, If you ever hear like some, or some rustling going on up there, it's John like wrestling with a bear or something up there, getting things going. But, uh, but John does a lot of grunt work. And also, John is our head of our production team. So the live stream, all the tech stuff that happens, John oversees that. And again, that's kind of a thankless job, but John does it so well. So I'm really excited for him to have a chance to share his heart because he is a pastor. He does preach the word. I'm excited to let him uh, share what's on his heart. And he's been praying about this for weeks. So I know that this has been bathed in prayer, that he's prepared this, and I'm really excited to hear what God has for him. So John, would you come now? And as Sean's coming, can we just give him a, a big round of applause? Yeah, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to church. Uh, it is really good to be with you. As Daniel said, my name is John. Um, and he, as he has also prefaced, if I don't know you, it's, it's good to meet you. I have been serving with Chi Alpha as an associate pastor um, for the past two years now, and which is the college ministry. And in addition to that, I also lead the production team. I actually affectionately call the production team the pro team here at the church. And so we'll get more back to that a little bit later, but it'd be really nice if I could share my story with you this morning. And so I was born and raised in Cedar Rapids in a very loving family. And I was um, raised around the Quimby clan for, since I was in coach pitch t-ball. Um, it was great. Uh, Pastor Derek, who leads the worship team, was one of my best friends in high school. And Pastor Daniel was good friends with my sister as well. And so my entire life, I went to church. I was raised in and around the church, but there was nothing that quite ever really sparked my interest about Jesus. Um, and my life, went, until I got to college, was filled with some mediocre self-performance. Um, it was filled with inflated ego, and that all means that I was kind of this self-righteous person. I was... I always tried to behave much better than my friends. And because I thought that I was so much better than my friends, I also became prideful. And in my pride, I no longer sought to grow um, from where I was. And so my intentions when I first got to UNI in the fall of 2015 was that I really wanted to party a bunch. I wanted to be promiscuous with females, and I wanted to do minimal classwork. I wanted what many people want, when they say they want the college experience. Um, luckily, before I moved from home, uh, I actually went to Pastor Derek's graduation party where Pastor Daniel reconnected with me after a few years of going to college. And he said, I heard you're going to UNI next year, and I'm starting a college ministry. Would you like to go? And I told him that I would be interested, which was a direct lie. <laughs> but having my eternity in mind, Daniel pursued me in the fall. Um, and I can remember that first Chi Alpha service like it was yesterday, actually. Uh, I was really uncomfortable with contemporary worship, which is much like St. Church. 
And the vocal feedback in, in the middle of the sermon really threw me off. Because in my home church, it wasn't just my mom who would shush me if I said anything in church. It was probably the three rows in front of me that might stare some daggers through my soul. Um, but I remember that first service at Chi Alpha, it was a completely different presence that I was aware of in that room. And that's not to say that it wasn't in any other service I'd ever been in before, but I was just hyper aware of what was happening that night. And I feel like my discomfort that night really led me to giving my life to Jesus. And so on August 27th in 2015, that's when I can confidently say that I gave my life to Jesus. And I felt called into ministry later at the end of my freshman year. Um, I met my now wife, Casey, who's back there on a computer. Um, and we decided to finish out our degree at UNI to try to get jobs with Chi Alpha. And so here we are. We've been full-time with Chi Alpha since 2019. And I'd love to say that all of my problems have disappeared since I gave my life to Jesus, but I'm still a work in progress. And one of the things that I've really struggled with in my life is something uh, that maybe some of you are aware of in your life, which is work ethic. And I tend to like to coast. Um, I gave, after I gave my life to Jesus, I would still procrastinate many of my school assignments um, and various deadlines. And even in the past couple of years, I've looked myself in the mirror a few times and said that I didn't always love the person I looked back, that work ethic that comes of that. And I realized that I can really easily give in to mediocrity when I try to go through the motions, whether it be in my spiritual life or in my work life or even in my relationships. And I struggle to have an internal drive inside of me, this motor that pushes me forward, but usually I'm okay with settling for a little bit, just giving a little of my life to the things that I really love. And maybe you can relate with me this morning. Maybe you didn't have the best work ethic in 2021, or maybe you haven't always had the best work ethic, but um, maybe for you, you show up on Mondays thinking, here we go again, and then on Fridays, you praise the Lord for the upcoming weekend. <laughs> or maybe you're still in school and you wake up every day with white-hot anxiety for the assignments that are due that you put off. Or maybe you get good grades, Maybe you work really well, but you realize that these things that you do well aren't fulfilling you. Or maybe you even serve on the dream team here at church, and every time you get that planning center notification that you're going to serve in two weeks, you think to yourself, I don't want to do it because it's boring, or maybe I don't like talking to newcomers because it makes me uncomfortable. And no matter what it is you do, I think that there's something in our lives that the Lord needs to inject motivation and work ethic into. And as we reflect on what the last year has looked like, I want to encourage you to also be dreaming about the, what the next one could be. What could it look like if you put your heart and soul into everything that you do? What could it look like if you worked for the Lord in every area of your life? This morning's message is titled Drive. As I've alluded to, drive or work, work ethic is something that I've often struggled with. Drive to work hard and see things done in my life well at times has caused me great anxiety. I know that not everybody struggles with work ethic in their life, but I think many people do. I believe that even in your work ethic, even if your work ethic is impeccable, I think that there's always a new light that can be cast on motivation, the whys behind the what, just like Noah shared during the offering. 
And if you enjoy the topic of today's message, I want to encourage you to read John Mark Comer's Garden City because that's where I pulled most of these ideas from. So if you'll bow your heads with me and pray. Jesus, Lord, we thank you for uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you for our church, Lord, for our family. And Lord, we're, um, yeah, Lord, we're just here to worship you. So Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me this morning, that you would communicate what you want communicated. All this we pray in your name. Amen. So if you'll open with me to Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 through 28, it'll also be on the screen. It reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is what, the theolog what theologians call the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate is this idea that every human is called not just to maintain God's creation, but also to co-create alongside God. When theologians talk about this mandate, they often use the word kavod. Kavod is this Hebrew word for glory. Literally, it means weighty or heavy. So as we look after God's creation and work alongside him, we do so to magnify his kavod. In other words, we work to bring God glory. Work is a thing that is blessed by God and brings him glory. So we can see this more clearly in Genesis 2, verse 5. It says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. So this is talking in a part of Scripture about the Garden of Eden. And if you're not familiar with the Garden of Eden, it's a perfect place that God created before sin had entered the world. God made this perfect garden and saw that it had potential to become something filled with culture. And in the garden, God purposefully created trees and plants and living things. However, there was one problem. It was that there was no one in the garden to work it. He needed someone to spread his kavod. And that's where we come in. God's next move was to create Adam so that he could work the ground and fill the world and subdue it. God called Adam to shape and form his creation into something that glorifies him in the form of culture. And in the same way, we're called today to work the ground as a way to satisfy or to glorify God and bless the world. This is probably metaphorical for most of you unless you're a farmer, but the ground for most of you here refers today to what we work for, the roles that we play in our lives. And so no matter if you're an accountant or you're a teacher or a construction worker or a stay-at-home mom, all of those things are the roles that you do, the ways that you glorify God. And so your job is to bring beauty and God's kavod to this world. Our work is how we make God's glory shine. It is a blessing to work side by side with the God of the universe to make sure that this world is beautiful. Isn't it incredible that God made the garden, which was perfect, placed with unlimited potential, and then asked humans to co-create with him? 
This brings us to this morning's big idea. We're called to co-create with God. The calling to co-create with God should not be taken lightly, just as the word kavod means something weighty or heavy. This is what John Mark Comer has to say about our calling. We are image bearers created to rule, to partner with God in pushing and pulling the creation project forward, to work it, to draw out the earth's potential and unleash it for human flourishing, to cooperate with God in building a civilization where his people can thrive in his presence. And in this cosmic agenda, each of us has a vocation, a calling from God, a way that God wired us, somebody to be and something to do. Because the two merge in perfect symmetry. But if you're going to do all of this to the kavod of God, that means that we're going to have to be really good at whatever it is we do. So even with this said, we have to realize that there should be a rhythm to our work. God doesn't call us to work 24-7, even if we're supposed to bring the glory to him through our work. Instead, he gives us an outline for how we should work well. And this comes from the creation stories. On, the, on days one through six, God creates good things and he works the whole time. And then on the seventh day, this leads us to how he rests, which leads us to how we should model our creation. So God's creation rhythm was first, we work hard and pursue excellence. That's days one through six. For many of us, that looks Monday through Saturday. And then the second step is to humbly rest. That's the last day, that's our Sabbath. And then the third is to repeat. Put it all right back in. So <clears throat> we're going to drill down a little bit into what work and rest are and why we do them. So let's start with work. Let's define work or co-creation as something that you have a chance to glorify God through. So it's not something that you just get, it's not always just something that you get paid to do, but it could be that. So if you're a parent, that is work. If you're a student, you're working then. Or if you're a professional, that's work as well. The reasons that all of these things qualify as work is because everything matters to God. In the New Testament, Peter calls us a royal priesthood. We are priests that are supposed to bring worship to God. And our work is a part of our worship. Our work is our ministry. So as you do your work or your ministry, you should be working as if you were working for God because that's what you're doing. In the 21st century, we've gotten really good at compartmentalizing our lives. So many of us subconsciously think, Sunday is my day for God, Saturday is my day to get away from everything else, and every other day is a means to an end that's called my occupation. But we need to change our way of thinking. Every day is worship to God. Our work or our ministry is really just, it really just means what our service is. And so the place where we fill the slot our work is the place that we fill the slot that was uniquely created for us in this world. When we, the beautiful part about this is we get a part in the play of life that was specifically written just for us. So our work is the way that we use the raw materials that God has given us in this life in order to create culture around us. The work that, God's, that God gives us is a blessing to us and in turn, we get to bless God through that and those around us. So you are a blessing to God and to those around you, and it shouldn't just be to bless yourself. So this leads us to our first setback this morning. We work to if we work to glorify ourselves, it will be unfulfilling. 
By this I mean if we work so that others might recognize us or give us the praise, then we won't fully realize the blessing of our work. It won't satisfy us. When you see, we see an example of this in the Tower of Babel, which is Genesis 11, verses 3 through 8. It reads, They said to each other, Come, let's make, make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and mar- tar instead of mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them over, the, over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And I think it can be easy to forget why we are doing what we are doing and who we do it for. The people who started to build Babel began their project. They didn't say when they began, let's build this so we can be close to God. Let's glorify him. But instead, they said, let's build a tower so that we can make a name for ourselves, so that we can get the glory. Because of this, they missed out on the blessing and fulfillment that work is supposed to bring. And I've experienced this in my life. When I was in high school, I cared about very few things, but there was nothing that I cared about more than who was the drumline captain my senior year. I know that this isn't something that really matters in the long run, but you would have a hard time convincing me of that when I was in high school once I got a taste of the leadership ladder in high school band. Every time that I interacted with my high school band director, I would comment on his crazy energy, and I would talk about marching band when it was out of season. I would shamelessly promote myself, and why wouldn't I? I was amazing. I thought that I was awesome and I didn't care who knew it. In fact, maybe the more the better. And I was sure that I had the captain position in the bag and we're going into the auditions at the end of my junior year, looking forward to the senior year and I walked into the audition with a big puffy chest and great confidence knowing that that position was mine. Um, I auditioned and left knowing that I had it, but then tragedy struck when I look at, looked at the results. I wasn't even a section leader in the section that I was in, much less the drumline captain. And I had worked so hard to bring myself the glory, and in the end, I came up short. Now, at the end of the day, I know that had I gotten that drumline position, that I still would have been unfulfilled. And if you're working just to fulfill yourself and not to glorify God, it will always leave you empty. The fulfillment will only be temporary and fleeting. And as a side note, I'm actually grateful that I didn't get that position because it probably would have left me worse off with a bigger ego. So now that we've taken some time to look back at the work part of God's creation rhythm, let's look at rest. Just like work, rest is a blessing that God gave us at the very beginning. After just six days, God was able to stop his work and rest. He established a rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. So if you think that your weeks are productive, look around you. God built this in six days. 
This is what John Mark says about God's rest in the creation story. He says, God's, God works, so we work. God rests, so we rest. Work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn how to rest well, you will never learn how to work well and vice versa. After all, the opposite of work is not rest, it's sleep. Work and rest are friends, not enemies. They are a bride and groom who come together to make a full, well-rounded life. If we know God for who he rightly is, we know that he does not need rest, but that his rest was to serve us as an example for how we should work. If you missed Pastor Daniel's sermon on the Sabbath and the Gospel of Mark series, you should really listen to it. He was able to go into greater detail about how to do Sabbath well than I will this morning. But in Mark 2, Jesus is accused of not keeping the Sabbath because the Sabbath holy because his disciples were walking through a field and eating corn. But his response to this is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The key part of this phrase in this conversation is that the Sabbath was made for man. It's clear from the beginning of time that God knew that people needed some kind of rest. And rest is the thing that gives us life. It recharges our batteries. It helps us to be more human and to be excited for the work week to come. And we should be able to hang up the boots for just a day and humbly know that God doesn't need us to break our backs so that his name can be glorified. And we also should know that God doesn't have to use us, but he wants to. God created the Sabbath for us so that we'd be able to co-create with him at full strength. And we need rest and we need the Sabbath. I can't emphasize that enough. However, rest should not be something that we worship. We shouldn't idolize it. Rest is a means to an end and not an end in itself. It means, it's a means to help us be healthy and to glorify God. Rest helps us to work better and reminds us that we are not the savior of the world as the world keeps spinning as we rest. It's not something that we should live for, which leads us to our second setback. If we rest to fulfill ourselves, it will never glorify God. I see it often in our culture as we look at rest as more than something that's just this holy gift that God gave us. And oftentimes I think that we see rest as something that will finally fulfill us. But that's not the truth. Rest on its own cannot bring us fulfillment. And it can't bring God the glory that a healthy, balanced work-rest rhythm can bring him. And although God didn't create us to go all the time, and we need to learn to rest, he also didn't create us to just live for the weekend. And if we fail to understand this, rest can be just another addictive habit, just like work can be. So I think the best way that this relates to me is through the leadership of the production team in the last six months. Now, the pro team mainly consists of the technology that it takes to host any event here at the church. And my favorite part about serving on the pro team is that if we do everything right, you will never know that we were here. And so, being an introvert, I don't always love talking to masses of people. Um, it's definitely not what I usually prefer to do. But luckily, if you find yourself feeling the same way, that there is a place for you on the pro team. I deeply love leading the pro team at the church because it gives me an opportunity to serve you as a body and our God in worship. 
But as soon as our speakers snap, crackle, and pop, everyone in the room instinctively shoots their eyes back at the soundboard. And in those moments, I wish that I was crawling underneath the stage. But by the grace of God, there's a place for introverts to serve in our church. Now, when I first inherited the production team, I didn't really enjoy leading it. Honestly, it was kind of a thorn in my side. I would come to church with a grumpy attitude. Uh, I would do the minimum amount of work that was expected of me just so I could say I could do the job. And I liked serving on the team more than I liked empowering those who were on the team. So I didn't look as, at this team as a way to glorify God. I just saw it as something that needed to be done, and it was my responsibility. And it seemed like something would take away from the time that I had to rest in my already packed weekends, which was very selfish of me. And although I was doing most of the things that were expected of me, I definitely didn't do them to the best of my abilities. I would just fill positions on Sundays instead of empowering those who I led to worship God by ushering the presence of God into a room without distraction. My idolization of rest was the thing that stepped in my way of maximizing my leadership of the production team, and it left a big hole in my heart. I failed to realize the blessing that I had to be to God and to those around me because I only thought about the rest that I'd be missing out on. I think by now that you can hear that I really do love leading this team, and it's something that gives me life, but it's not something that I enjoyed right away. It's a learned love for me. So once I started working as hard as I possibly could to make the production team a place that was worth serving, I could start to see the fruit of my labor. Once I started to work really hard, I feel like there wasn't a ginormous change in the way that people served on the team, but I feel like God gave me his eyes to see how my service could affect people's souls. And I hope that there's something in this story that could relate to you, something that you might be able to identify with. I know that you don't find yourself leading a production team at your church because that's my job and you can't have it now. <laughs> but for many of us, we can struggle with resting well. And we need to recalibrate, as John Mark says, to have a better way of life. For many of us, that means that we should actually try to plan out our rest. How this looks for me now is that I actually need to write everything on a calendar for my Sabbath day. Um, I originally did not like calendars, but now it saves my life every single week. Um, and throughout the day, I also need to be really flexible with those things. Something that I, ha I don't plan on on a Sabbath day may actually end up being more restful than I had planned. So for you, that might be that you have a hard time resting well. Maybe you need to protect some of that time. Maybe you need to plan your Sabbath days. Or maybe if you're a planner, you could be more flexible with your Sabbath day. I don't know, but that's for you to decide. And I'm not sure that anyone can consistently stumble into rest. That's the main idea here is you can't just consistently stumble into a rested life. It takes mindfulness and careful planning to be truly rested. So, band, if you want to come up. The creation story stops the narration after seven days. But what does that mean for us? 
It surely doesn't mean that we're just intentional for the next seven days, and then we go back to unhealthy habits after this. But it's a disciplined process of recognizing our motivations and knowing why we are doing what we are doing and who we are doing them for. This morning, you may be thinking to yourself as you hear that you're called to co-create with God. Well, I only stock shelves. How is that creation at all? Or maybe you're a real estate agent that says, I sell houses, which are something that I don't know how to build. And I don't think that God was just thinking that we needed to create goods and services to sell to each other, but rather that we need to do everything well because that's how we glorify his name. Those little things matter to God. It matters less to God what you do than why you do them. Craig Rochelle is a leadership guru, and he says your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. So if you have a hard time pinning down your motivations, you could be asking yourself, what do I think about the most? What is my strongest thought? What can't you get out of your head? In 2021, did you build a tower to yourself? Did you have a lapse in focus toward your work and how can you fix that? And the next year, there may be a town that needs torn down or maybe just repurposed. Whatever it is in your life, it seems to me like in the new year, that'll be a great time to make some changes. And as we consider what we want to change about the way that we work and rest for this next year, we can stop to think about what it could look like if we follow God's design. How much more would we spread the seeds of the gospel if we worked as if people's lives depended on it? Imagine what the spiritual landscape could look like if we created a culture of unapologetically hardworking Christians who also knew that they didn't have to be somebody else's Jesus. What if we rested so well that we were excited to return to the work that we dislike right now to a week that might be even more taxing than the last because we knew that we had a chance to co-create for God. So if you'll stand with me. If you're here and you've never called Jesus King, I believe that right now is the perfect time to start. Jesus doesn't expect us to work hard and rest well without reciprocation either. When Jesus came to the earth, he came and lived the perfect life with no sin, which takes incredible work ethic. And even though he worked so hard, he still died an unfair death. Jesus lived the perfect life knowing that he would give his life for you in order for you to get a chance to go to heaven. And Jesus didn't live the life of perfection for himself, but for each one of us. He gave his life so that sin, sin would not have the final word in our lives and separate us from God for eternity. He saw where we were headed and he did not work for the weekend, but instead he gave it everything he had and he rested well. So this morning, I want to give you two ways to respond. And the first of which if you, is if you don't know the King Jesus, uh, we want to give you a chance to put your faith in him. With every eye closed and every head bowed this morning, 
They give you a chance to physically respond by raising your hand to heaven. And this is between you and God, so on the count of three, I'll give you the chance to raise your hand and give your life to Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus, we pray for the new brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to encourage them, Lord Jesus, to, um, to help them to work hard, to work well. And Lord, I pray that we could be a part of the rest in their life. The second way to respond this morning is if you want to work with everything you have for this next year and to glorify the name of Jesus, would you just put your hands out in front of you? As we go back into worship this morning, I want you to ponder what it could look like if you worked with everything you had in this next year. So we'll have the prayer team up here this morning to pray with you. We'll go back into worship.